Hi, I'm Monty Sharp, and I'd like to welcome you to the Gatekeepers Initiative. What in the world is a gatekeeper, you may ask? I'm so glad you asked. The world's gatekeepers proclaim that they're protecting their community, but in reality, they're elevating themselves by denying others entrance to the community by belittling and devaluing them. God's gatekeepers protect their communities through loving devotion to those around them. They're there to encourage that which is good and reject that which brings harm. So let's take a deeper dive today in how God is calling you to be a gatekeeper. Today, we're going to be talking about a subject that we are constantly being bombarded with, and that is just truth matter. Does truth matter? I'll ask you a question. If, if your life was on the line right now today, and you were going to live or die based upon who you believed was speaking the truth to you, would you believe a coworker or your spouse or a politician or media source or social media source or uh, just the number of people, the, who are, the majority of opinions that you hear that you agree with, a friend or teacher, or would it be Jesus or even somebody else? Your choice determines your death or your life. Who would you choose? Be honest with me. Who would that be? Who you choose is going to be the ultimate arbitrator of truth in your life. They're going to be the one that is determining the truth that you're accepting, that you're believing in. And so as gatekeepers, it's so important that we understand that, not only for our sake, but to be able to help communicate that to other people. The question today is truth absolute. Is it immutable, unchangeable? Or is it subjective, subject to my feelings, my desires, my perceptions and opinions, or even the collective viewpoint of, of my group of people of, in society? Is it true that truth is relative? What's true for me isn't necessarily true for you. Those are good questions, and I think we want to unpack all of them today. So hang in there with us. The answers are so critical to the health and destiny of our world today that we really need to know. But before we dive deeper into the message, let's take a minute and bring some clarity to the term subjective truth. We hear it all about us, objective truth and subjective truth. There are, probably you could make a, a case for the fact that there are subjective truths in life. As an example, you say it's cold, I say it's hot. Both of us are probably right when we filter our temperature environment through all of our individual temperature receptors. If you say the rose is red and I say it's orange, again, we could both be correct because we, the different ways that we perceive color. So there might be a place for subjective truth in life. But please keep in mind that when I'm using the term in this message, it's in reference to man arrogantly redefining truth, God's truth, so that they could justify their wrongdoing and lead others astray to gain power. God's absolute, objective, eternal, immutable truth is being exchanged for the lie through man's opinions, perceptions, feelings, desires, and collective rebellion. These people believe that he who controls the definition controls the culture. Boy, do we hear that? everywhere around us right now. And they're right, apart from God's intervention. Praise the Lord that he does, and we can be a part of that. The following are some examples of, of how that works, how subjective truth works in our life. Um, just questions. 
What does God's word say about who a man is and who a woman is? That's pretty clear, right? In the beginning, God made man, and then he made woman out of man's rib, and he gave specific roles to them. Does he talk about other roles? Does he call man toxic? I mean, there's so many things today that, that are where the definition of man and woman are now being totally exchanged. As an example, a young lady that was added to the Supreme Court when she was questioned about her views on what is, uh, could she define a woman? She said, no, she couldn't do that. One of the easiest and clearest things that a person could be able to do. God's word's very clear on all of that. How about the world's definition of gender versus God's? How about who Jesus is? We have cults today that redefine Jesus and say, well, we believe in Jesus. Well, as an example, one cult believes that Jesus was born out of the physical union of God the Father and Mary having sex together. Jesus was born a man. Uh, because of an exemplary life, he became a God, a God over this world. And you can become a God, too, over your own world. Say we, we believe in Jesus as just an entirely different Jesus than the Bible talks about. How about... What does the Bible say about who has the rights and responsibilities to make decisions about our children? It's very clear that God's told us that we are to raise up our children the way they should go. But today, it's the state, it's the school, it's the hospital, it's every government agency that is now saying, really, the rights and authority to be able to, to raise children belong to them. And we as, as individuals have frequently acquiesced to that. But God's very clear in the fact that we bear that responsibility as parents. What does Jesus say about you bearing the responsibility for a possible wrong committed against humanity by your ancestors before you were born? He's pretty clear about that. Sins of the fathers are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation, Exodus 20, verse 5. But at the same token, he goes on and says, if a father commits a sin and the child is righteous, then he is not subject to the, to the punishment of the father. And yet, here we go, around us today, this is something that's very commonly talked about, that we need to make reparations on that end of things. What does Jesus say about men being toxic? I talked about that earlier. Um, are men toxic? Let's face it, human beings are toxic. God says that all of us ascend and fall short of the glory of God. But he said, when we give our life to Christ, we are new creations, old things passed away. Does that mean we're perfect? No, but we're walking with a perfect God that's working that out in us. And this is probably one of my favorites. <laughs> when somebody doesn't agree with our truth statement today, and they can't argue against it with a truth statement that they can prove is factual, what do we do? We fall prey to ad hominem. We use ad hominem, personal attack, calling you names, calling you a racist or a bigot or a a homophobic or a flaming liberal, or you can name it, the list goes on and on and on, trying to diminish us and trying to make the argument about what we are instead of the facts that we're bringing into the argument uh, that we're talking about. Today, we have heard a ton about science as being the ultimate arbiter of truth. Everywhere we turn with the COVID pandemic, we kept hearing the word, well, science says, uh, I, I'm a science backer, I'm the source of science, and you don't know what you're talking about. But the, the question is, are they talking about scientific theory, scientific hypothesis, or are they talking about scientific fact? 
There is a big difference in all of those. When we talk about theory and hypothesis, we're talking about an opinion, an opinion that's formed by a, a, a scientist that says, I believe this is going to be the truth trail. And so they throw that opinion out there and the theory out there. Then they go about trying to prove its efficacy, its truth by experimentation. And for a scientific theory or hypothesis to become a scientific truth, it has to be provable through objective and verifiable observation in a controlled environment. We need to be able to, to conduct this experiment in a controlled environment and be able to replicate it over and over again. And until we do that, it is not scientific fact. It is merely the opinion of somebody else. Wow. And yet, how many of us have been stopped cold in our tracks? You know, and, and when we know something is not true, it's not real, even common sense would tell you that, then you're faced with common, with a scientific truth that is not scientific truth, but only a theory or a hypothesis that's never been proven. So all around us today, truth is on trial. And the question is, who's going to win? Are we going to convict it as being correct? Are we going to be able to say no? Truth isn't what we believe it is. It's something entirely different. And he who controls the definition then will control the argument and the culture. Romans 1.25, God says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's going on all about us today. All about us today. You know, there's one truth that I forgot to talk about that's out there today that I think is relevant before I go on with this statement. And that is, when does life begin? Recent Supreme Court decision has got our country torn to pieces over that. And it's important that we really understand what, what is the truth about when does life begin? In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you, this is the Lord saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And it goes on in Psalm 139.13, it says, for thou didst form my inward parts and weave me in my mother's womb. God is the one that has created the life in a mother's womb. And even think about this from a common sense perspective. When you have an egg or, or an egg in a woman's womb that is alive, and it co-joins with a sperm from a man that is alive, and the two of them join together to create a new DNA and a new life, when does death ever enter into that? When does non-existence or non-life ever enter into that. It never does. And in fact, if for some reason the egg or the sperm is dead, then the whole thing is aborted by the body. So when does life begin? God's word says it begins at the point of conception. And we need to be able to recognize that. Just some thoughts for you to be able to think about as you're facing these attacks that are going on all around us today. So they, they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I guess in summary, all about us, we hear evil being proclaimed as good and good being proclaimed as evil. You get the point? This is coming at us daily through every kind of source that you can think of. Media, social media, pundits, politicians, halls of higher education, to name a few. Does absolute objective truth really matter? I think most of us would agree that the majority of people today have fallen in line with the philosophy that believes truth is subjective and not absolute. What is true for you isn't necessarily true for me. Therefore, any true statement is really subject to my feelings, my opinions, 
my perspectives, my desires, and can be influenced by the collective social norm of my group. Many of us have settled into the why should I care attitude. Let them believe what they want. It's no skin off my nose. But is that true? Does absolute truth matter to you and me in the world? Well, it certainly does to Jesus. Romans 1.18 and, and verse 25 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, who exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's a heavy thought. Romans 2.2 says, But we are sure the judgment of God is according to the truth against them who commit such things. Proverbs 19.9 says, He who tells lies will perish. Let that thought linger for a minute. He who tells lies will perish. Wow. I remember the first time I read that verse, I'm going, Oh no, I'm destined to perish because I've told lies before. But here's the good news. Let me read. Let me go ahead and share more. So God's judgment and wrath falls upon those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, those who change the truth of God into a lie, and they cannot escape it apart from his mercy and his grace. Because the truth stands and testifies against them, and the truth stands the test of time. God's grace and mercy rescues us that will follow him and believe in him. But those who are choosing to stand on the lie, trying to win power, trying to win authority, trying to justify the wrong choices, they face some really difficult times ahead of them. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 says, they face this because they did not receive the love of the truth. You see, we're not only supposed to be able to accept the truth of what God says, but we're supposed to love it, knowing that it has such an impact in a good way on us and the culture around us. Hosea 7.13 says, Woe to them who have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. Romans 1, 8-28 paraphrased, God chose his anger against people who push the truth away from themselves and others. For the truth about God is known to them intuitively by what has been created. Instead of believing that which they know was true, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So God eventually abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do the things that man should never do. And that's what's going on all around us today. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. That's a command from God. Do not be deceived. Then he goes on and says, Bad company corrupts good morals. As a gatekeeper, we need to be careful of who we give access to our hearts and minds. And we need to do the same with those that are in our gates. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks within himself, so is he. The things you're thinking about are shaping you and molding you into their image. So do not let them in. The things that we are hearing and seeing and musing over, thinking about, are shaping us and molding us into their image. That's why Titus 1, 10 through 11 says, Foolish talk blinds people to the truth, and it must be stopped. Now that's a commandment to the one that's speaking it. it you must stop doing this. But it's also a commandment to the one that's listening to it that we are to stop it. We are to stop it. Proverbs 31.9 says, Open your mouth and judge righteously. Righteous means to be right with God. Open your mouth and discern whether it's true or not true 
and speak what is right, what is true, God's truth. So you can see Jesus is pretty adamant about those of us who intentionally lead others away from the absolute truth of his word, speaking half-truths and lies, that all truth is really subjective. So why is absolute objective truth so important to God? That's important for us to know. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, But all things should be done decently and in order. God's a God of order. And then he also says uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not the God of confusion. God is a God of order. He hates confusion. Confusion hinders our health, our fruitfulness, and our relationships, and our peace. And order facilitates those things. Acts 19.32 says, Then some were shouting one thing, and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. Rioting in our streets, burning and killing all about us. Teenagers today, the recent uh, survey showed that 70% of teenagers asked, believe that their peers are struggling with anxiety and depression and suicide. And why is that? Because there's no absolute truth around them. Every time they, they try to lean against the wall, it gets moved. Every time they try to sit on the chair, it gets yanked from under them. There's no ability to have peace and security in their life because truth continues to get turned and twisted into something else. There's nothing that they can be building their life upon and rest upon and find peace in. God is the creator and the recreator of the universe and of all things. Doesn't it make sense that his truth, his wisdom, his will, and his ways are the best to follow? As one of my uh, teenage friends would say, duh, (laughs) of course, absolutely, of course. Second reason I think that we need to be understanding the importance of absolute objective truth to God is, without God's absolute truth, there is no plumb line or measuring rod for right and wrong. If there's no plumb line, there's no validity to right and wrong. And therefore, law and order is no longer based upon what is right or fair according to God's absolute truth. It's based upon who has the most power. Right, right is determined by might. Whoever has the most power, the most political push, whatever it may be, they're the ones that make the decisions and and you're subject to them. And they're always subject to change because it's according to their whim and their will. Our Declaration of Independence and Constitution were built upon the precepts of God's absolute truth. Our founding fathers believed in that. The Declaration of Independence states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain and alienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founding fathers said, This is God's absolute truth, that all men are created equal. They have certain unalienable rights, which means they can be taken from them. They can be surrendered or given up. God has given them to them. Man hasn't given them to them, so man cannot take them away from them. They have certain unalienable rights that God gave them. God's absolute truth is used as the guarantor of our rights, being protected against might being right. If we abandon God's absolute truth as our plumb line of what's right, then we destroy the very foundation of our constitutional rights and protection. And we will be subject to the might of others to say what is right. Why is this happening? Because we, the church, who are called by God to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth, 
pillar and foundation of the truth, uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, are not standing against the lies. If we won't stand for God's absolute truth, then we and our culture and our country will fall for anything and our freedoms will fall with us. Without God's absolute truth as a moral fiber of our families and society, we will crumble. Without it, man runs free to do unto others without restraint or consequence. We're seeing that happen today. It is God's absolute truth that moves people out of harm's way if and when we follow it. The half-truths and the lies of subjective truth ultimately lead us to that vortex of declivity. Jeremiah 13, 24 through 25, I will scatter them like drifting straw to the desert wind because they have forgotten me and they have trusted in falsehood. Contrast that with God's promise in Proverbs 16, 20. He who gives attention to my word finds good. The vortex of declivity, that downward spiral into destruction, or God's good. As gatekeepers, we must choose rightly for our sakes and the sake of our families, friends, culture, country, and for the world. Colossians 2.8 says, Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the evil powers of this world. Don't let them. Ephesians 5.6, Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Don't let them. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. Why has God done this? Because man's great wisdom has led him to believe in egocentricity, that he is the center of the universe, that life is all about him instead of about God. Their wisdom hasn't led them to Jesus, who is the fountainhead of truth and life, but instead to the vortex of declivity, downward spiral of destruction. You know, I've had the privilege of doing open-air preaching on college campuses for probably about 15 years. And it's amazing to me because I always encounter the intellectual, and they always want to impress me with what they want to know, especially the, the young, zealous male. It seems like that's always the case. And it's so fun to be able to talk to them because they want to show me how much they know. But the bottom line is this. I start with the premise, how smart can you be? If what you know doesn't lead you to the author of truth and life abundantly and life eternal, Jesus. And I always ask them the question, have you read the Bible? Oh, well, no, I don't read the Bible. Really? The number one best-selling book of all times given to the change of, of humankind and governments throughout history of elevating them, elevating women's rights and children's rights. And, and universities being created and hospitals being created. All of those things came out of what God's word said and how important it was for us to be able to treat one another. Many of us are intimidated by people that are claiming to be intellectuals. They use big words. I'm here to tell you, my brothers and sisters, they should not intimidate you. They're not incredibly smart if their intelligence haven't led them to Jesus yet. That doesn't mean that it won't, and we hope and pray for so. But don't be intimidated by that. Just simply share the love of Christ. Simply share what the truth of God's word says. You don't have to argue with them about it. You can just simply say, it's what God says. And when they say, I don't believe in God, and you say, well, if you're as smart as I hope that you are, then you're eventually going to find him because truth will ultimately lead to the author of truth, and that's Jesus Christ himself. With God's absolute truth as the foundation of all that we have, and all that we hold dear, there will be no justice, no freedom, no 
healthy relationships, no good, no wisdom, and the list goes on and on without God's absolute truth being the foundation of all of that. So what does subjective truth look like? Let me give you some examples, because it's happening around us today. Someone steals your diamond bracelet. Don't you wish you had one? Okay, someone steals your diamond bracelet, and you take them to court. The judge rules that although the bracelet once belonged to you, there is a greater truth. And that truth is that you have very much, and they have very little, so they get to keep the bracelet. Wow, how would you like that? That's where we're headed, and it's already happening. Police officer pulls you over. Even though you weren't speeding, you get upset. You fail the attitude test. Never want to do that with somebody in authority. So he writes you a ticket for going 90 and takes you to jail. Too bad, sucker. That's just the way it is. Might is right. And so you have to yield to me. Are you getting it? Everything that we're used to depending on as fair and right to protect us and our rights no longer exist in a world defined by subjective truths. I don't have to tell you that that is not good. God also made truth absolute and and immutable because it's his nature and his character. Absolute truth reflects who God is. Jesus in John 14, 6 tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Jesus is the absolute, unchanging, immutable truth. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The written word of God that Jesus has given us is also absolute, immutable truth. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Let me give you a a definition of truth and what the Bible would give us. Truth is consistent with what reflects Jesus' character, nature, will, and ways. It's his written word as well as his spoken word. That's what absolute truth is. And anything to the contrary is untrue and puts those who speak it in the path of God's wrath. Romans 1, 18 through 25. In epistemology, man's study of how we came to know truth, truth has been most oftenly defined that which conforms with reality or fact. Truth is ontological. It means it conforms to reality, the way things really are. Even Webster's defines truth as that which is in accordance with fact or reality, the way things really are. This isn't rocket science, even though man tries to make it so. Remember, Hitler said, you tell the lie, Loud enough and long enough, it becomes the truth. And he who controls the definition, folks, is controlling our culture and our country. If I let go of a glass of water five foot off the ground, it will fall to the ground, assuming there are no outside interferences. That's called the law of gravity. That's truth. As much as I will will it to the contrary or try to talk to it on the way down, it's going to fall. That's reality. Therefore, it is true. If I say I can fly without assistance, And so I jump off the Empire State Building. I will discover my true statement was false and had no connection with truth or reality. I will quickly discover that it was a flat-out lie. No pen intended, of course. You may feel like you're flying for a very short time period, but in reality and in truth, you're falling to your death. Do you get it? Do you get it? You may believe it, you may feel it, you may say it, but if it doesn't line up with what God says, uh, is true, and with reality, in fact, it is untrue. Okay, I hope I have convinced you, and you're believing that God and his word are the best source of absolute truth. And I've convinced you that subjective truth that's based on my feelings and desires and perceptions and opinions and collective viewpoint of society is untrue. What should you do about it? I think that's really important for us to know. 
John 8, 31 and 32 and 36 says, if you'll abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He who the Son of God sets free is free indeed. Free to confidently know the absolute truth. Ephesians 4.21, truth is in Jesus. Free to boldly and intelligently share that absolute truth in our private and public discourses. Romans 10.14 says, how will they know if no one tells them? My brothers and sisters, that's a specific statement to us, a question to us. Are you going to be the one that makes the difference and tells them? It's not your intellect or your articulation. It's just simply, will you speak, even with fear and trembling, the truth in situations that where they need to hear it? Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are called to speak the truth, but sometimes it's, we're really scared to be able to do that. Well, the way to be able to get confidence and faith is to be in the word ourselves day and night, to be able to constantly be opening it and learning it and, and studying it. We are called to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 1.15. Not just simply go out there and devastate people with the truth, but speak it because you love them in love. Ask Jesus to give you that love for them before you even share. And we need to be speaking the truth louder and longer than the enemy is speaking the lies of subjective truth. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. Christians, we need to be lovingly, gently, firmly, confidently speaking the truth louder and longer than the world is hearing the lies out there. Zechariah 8.16, God commands us, These are the things that you should do. Are you ready for it? It's really a long list. Not really. These are the things that you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth. That means when you're looking at what's being said and what's going on around you, discern whether that is true or not true. And, and your plumb line is God's word and what he says about all of that. Speak the truth to one another and judge with truth for peace in your gates. You got that, gatekeepers? If you want peace in your gate, that's what we're called to be able to do. So let's word up. Get in the Word of God. Let's read it and study it and memorize it and share it daily. In it, Jesus will tell you great and mighty things that you don't know, Jeremiah 33, 3. Give you more understanding than the aged and more insight than your teachers and more wisdom than your enemies, Psalm 119, 98 through 100. It will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, Psalm 119, 105. Why? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be adequate, meaning we're capable and equipped for every good work. Finally, the, the best part of being in the Bible, the written word of God, is that it helps lead me to a sweet, intimate relationship with Jesus who is the living word of God, the one who loves us in spite of who we are and wants to shape us and mold us into his image. He gives you life abundantly, John 10.10, 10, life eternal, John 3.16, and he makes you a member of the family of God. You are not alone. Why would we hesitate to share the good news with everyone around us when we know these truths to be so? Are you getting it, my brothers and sisters? I surely hope so. Just a little side note before we wrap this up. People have often asked me, 
How have you gained such confidence that you know what God's Word is saying? Well, it's simple. When I sold out to Jesus, no exaggeration, I was in the Word of God eight hours a day, five days a week, for three years. I mean, I was getting up early in the morning and reading for hours. I would read it during the day, had a break somewhere. I had Christian teaching on the radio anytime I could when I was working. And then I would go to Bible studies or discipleships. And what was really crazy, because I availed myself to God all those times during the day, those multiple times during the day, so many times, what he spoke to me in the morning, he spoke to me again and again throughout the day in different sources. You don't think that gave me confidence that I was hearing from God, that he was speaking to me? And he can do the same for you. So don't settle for that five or ten minutes in the morning. Some of us are having a hard time even getting there. Have a heart to make a difference in the world, to be the gatekeeper that rescues your people and those around you. Take the time to really dive into the Word of God and make sure that you're doing it more than once. Give Jesus an opportunity to speak to you multiple times. So let's word up, stand up, and lift up Jesus so he can draw all men unto him. The truth will set them free. God's truth matters to our mission if we're going to have victory. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss another episode of Monty Sharp and the Gatekeepers Initiative. Don't forget, each of us has our gates of influence in our lives that can radically change the world around us. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to being with you again next time. May the Lord richly and wonderfully bless you.